0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: But to invite your family and friends. This being the week before though, In the history of the church, we would refer to it as Palm Sunday, and for some of you that are maybe kind of outside the faith of Christianity and looking in the windows, you know, you may hear a little bit about Palm Sunday. Some of the more higher churches might do that, and they talk about it, but that was a very significant time in the life of Christ, and I'm going to show you how that that day and who Christ is is really relevant to who we are today, and so I'm so excited about what I want to share with you. It has been part of my core values for most of my ministry. In fact, the sermon that I'm gonna give to you now was the very first sermon that I preached here in your midst many years ago, but updated in the sense that after 11 years, the Lord has really taken the truths of these uh, passages and principles and incubated them in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, so that I can share them with you, not as old dusty bread that I took out of some cabinet, but out of something that has been resonating in my heart for so long. In fact, as a pastor, we often think of ourselves if we were to give only one message or if we were to give our last message or a uh, deathbed declaration, what would it be? If I could only leave you with one, it would be this very message that I'm giving to you now. Because I believe that once we own this in our own heart, we'll have not only a more accurate view of God, but that we will passionately love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we will love the people that he loves because we should do that. And we'll love him in such a way that we want to tell them about Christ and who he is and help them to do that with others. So I hope that today's message would have an impact on your life as good or greater than it has on my life as well. Well, for some of you that, again, are not certain about what was going on with Palm Sunday... It was the time where the Lord was coming into Jerusalem as they were beginning their Passover week. A lot of Jews were there and the city was beginning to swell with thousands and tens of thousands and some numbers even put it into the hundreds of thousands of people were coming. Not only Jews, but others that were going to kind of capitalize on the Jewish people being there when a big festival comes into town. And so Jesus now comes into town and he's riding this colt, this donkey, and the people were just crying out unto him, Hosanna! Really, that is the word deliverer, because they were looking to him to maybe release them from all the problems they were having with the Roman government. So they were looking to him to be either a political or maybe even a military leader. So please deliver us. But they really didn't know that Jesus Christ was far more than that, that he was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So as he came in, you would think that while they're celebrating, Jesus would be high-fiving people like they do after a big ball game. But actually, in Scripture, it said he was weeping. And he was really weeping because he knew what the people were doing because he was God, but at the same time, he knew that they really didn't know who he was. And so in my own mind, and I trust it's not a critical mind, but I'm thinking how many people today are actually kind of worshiping a Christ that they have devised in their own mind, but it's not the Christ of the Bible and that Jesus might be weeping over a lot of so-called Christians that are doing that. And of course, a lot of those that are outside the faith. And so while today we'll give you some theology, and that's a word that's called the study of God, I also want you to know that it's not going to be dead orthodoxy. I'm praying that it'll really be something that you can apply to your life. So while we look to Christ, and yes, he is the deliverer, he is the savior, he is the Lord, but that we really know a little bit more about who he is and what he really means to us, especially those of you who might be going through some real challenges in your life, whether you're a believer or not. You know, I have the opportunity uh, to speak around the country and now a little bit more around the world, and I'm very humbled by that. I enjoy traveling, but I enjoy going places where I can share the message of truth, and when you travel on a plane, maybe you've done that as well, because we live on an island, so to get anywhere, you have to fly there, maybe take a boat, but most of the time you fly there. I remember one flight that I took, I was sitting there, it was stormy and rainy outside, and and the person next to me you could see was visibly shaken by this weather to want to know, are we going to be able to ever get off the ground and will we have a safe liftoff and all of that? Maybe a first-time flyer. And while they were there clenching their handles on their seat as we were beginning to be cleared for takeoff and taxiing down the runway, I know they were very afraid. And so I leaned over to them and I said to them, I said, Carol, are you afraid of... No, I didn't say that. It's my wife. I said, are you a little timid about going And She said, I, I don't know. Are we really going to be okay? And I simply said, like many of you know as well, I said, if this is your first time flying, I I assure you that in just a few moments, maybe a couple minutes, we're going to be well beyond and above all of this bad weather, and it's going to be brilliantly sunlight outside, and it's going to stream through these windows that they're going to be asking to pull down the shades. And they looked at me like I was crazy. But I didn't have to validate that fact. I just had to wait. And sure enough, after a few moments and then a few minutes, we've been climbed up out of those clouds, and sure enough, the brilliant sunshine was just basking through those windows, and they were pulling down the shades. And that reminded me of how many people sometimes get our eyes looking on all the problems that we're having in our life, but we forget that even amidst all of these problems, that above those problems, these earthly issues that we go through, the Lord is still sun shining on us, S-O-N, sun shining on us. And so today, I don't want you to just to kind of think that he's up there. I want you to experience the warmth of his love for you. Yes, God is a balanced God. He will love you. He will also judge. There is a condemnation. But in the middle of all of that is his righteousness, which he knows just what to do righteously to the person that needs to have that done. And so right now, I want you to know of God's great love. So if I use the term the attributes of God, some of you might want to know, what do you mean by an attribute of God? Well, just take the word attribute. What do you attribute Well, these are character traits, the eternal, that are attributed to God because that's his character. So these would be the description of God, of who he is, that's eternal, and how that relates to you. Perhaps another way to look at it would be this. The way God is described as an attribute could be described like a diamond, and I think you could see kind of a diamond. Most of you know that there are facets of a diamond. A facet is kind of a side of a chipped diamond, which means that when the sun glistens off of it, it'll kind of sparkle, and that's what makes diamonds sparkle, the facets, the sides of it. Well, his attributes would be, an attribute is one facet of that diamond. There are many facets, many attributes, but one God, and all of it shines on us. So he is all of one attribute, but he's not just one attribute, he's many of them, which will let you know who God is. Now for those of you that are even outside the faith, this is good for you to know so that you'll know a little bit about why Christians are so passionate about God and are so willing to trust him during the times that there are storms, believing that his light is still shining on them. And so I would like you to know that. So this morning, I'd like you to open your Bibles. If you have them with you, to Psalm 139. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles that are in the chair racks in front of you. So just reach under there and pull one out. If not, most of the verses will be up on the screen, and then you also have it in your little um, worship folder in front of you. If you have an electronic gadget in front of you and you can find it, I would do that. You can follow along with me. But we're going to go through Psalm 139. I'm not going to be able to cover the entire psalm today, but that's okay. You're going to get plenty of food in the few verses that I will go through, and you can mark them down. Now, while you're getting ready for this message, let me explain. This passage of Psalm 139 will cover no less than seven attributes. Now, I know that your outline shows six because I'm going to combine two of those. I want you to know that this Psalm 139 does not cover all the attributes of God so that I want you to know there's many more. That doesn't mean you're cheated out of it. If all I did was park on one attribute, I could spend nearly a lifetime of preaching on that alone through Scripture because the depth of God is almost so deep that I'll never be able to plummet it for all of the knowledge and the wisdom. At the same time, I'll try to divide up Psalm 139 so you could follow along like pegs on truths that you'll know God and how to apply Him to your life. But I want you to know that sometimes it's difficult because the verses in the passages of the Scripture are like a beautiful, fine fabric that you'll have different strands, but when they're all together, it's sometimes hard to discern one strand from the other when you're looking at that entire garment that's there. So we're going to look at the garment of the attributes of God, and I'm going to try to pick apart some of those little strands, those strings, so that you could see him, but yet there'll be some overlap. And so I pray that today's message that I've titled, Looking at Yourself, but Through the Eyes of God, will not only encourage you, but will bring you into a greater understanding of who God is. Now, you'll notice that at the beginning of my message, I referred to Jesus Christ and Palm Sunday, and him then later in the week going to the cross and all of that. And now I'm going to be talking about God. I do not want to separate Jesus from God In a sense, because I want you to know that Jesus is God. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. Then in verse 14, it says, And we behold the Word, and that Word dwelt among us like flesh. And so again, the Word is God, Jesus is God, God is God, and they're all the same. So while we're going to refer to God in Psalm 139, I want you to know it is not a leap to mention that Jesus is God. I'm talking about the same entity, but this time, not just God in the flesh, Jesus on earth, but God. They're all one. So this would be also, this is how Jesus is to you. And so let's begin our journey together. And there are six of these principles, so you might want to jot them down as they'll help you as we go through that. We will read the verses as we cover these. Here's the first one, is, and that is God is all-knowing. Now, a lot of us know that God is all-knowing. We would call that the omniscience of God. A lot of the theologians say that. You don't need to remember that word, but... It would be good for you to know that God is all-knowing. But what's so important about God being all-knowing? It's the last part of that phrase. Therefore, he knows what is very best for you. If God is all-knowing, then he knows what I'm going through, but he also knows what is best for me. And I like to know that someone really has my best interest in mind, and he really does. Well, let's go back to the passage now. Let's see a little bit more about how much he knows about us, shall we? Let's read it to you. It goes like this. Oh, Lord... You've searched me and you've known me. And you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from way afar. You scrutinize my path and also my lying down. And you're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it all. You've enclosed me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. Well, let's see if we can get some thoughts on this. First of all, he knows us so well, he knows us personally. Sometimes we might see ourselves as nothing more than what we might call a snowflake in the blizzard of humanity. That there are seven billion people in the world today, and so how can God really know me? According to the psalmist right here, he is claiming that God does know him as an individual. So while you're in a room that's filled with people, read just for a moment plan as if you were all by yourself. God knows you. Now, more than knows you, he really knows you. And because he knows you, he knows what plans he has for your life as well. So God really knows you. It also says he has known you, but he also says he has searched you. Now, that word search is kind of an interesting word. It's not so much like, well, the Lord had just a a kind of a brief knowledge of you, but he had to really study you a little bit more to really get to know you. It's kind of like getting married see him far off, get to know him real well. You get married, then you really know him. You know what I mean? It's not like that with God. You were in the mind of God before you were ever in your mother's womb. You were in God's mind where he divinely designed you. So keep that in mind. That's how much he knows you. You're that important to him. But he also knows your movements. See where it says, when I sit down and when I rise up. What does that mean, when I sit down, when I rise up? Well, basically, he knows everything about me in all of my day. When I get up and I go... To work tomorrow, he knows me. When I go to sleep tonight and I put my head on the pillow, he knows me. He knows me in all of my movements. He knows me when I move about. So wherever you go today, you are never going alone. You're going with the Lord who knows you and doesn't have to discover you. But he also knows your thoughts. Now, this is what gets really scary. He knows exactly what I'm thinking. In fact, I think he believes and rather, I I know he knows what I know when I'm thinking before I even think those thoughts. In fact, he knew when I would stumble over a phrase. He knows everything about me. So whatever you're thinking right now, like how long is he going to go today? He knows that thought, all right? So I want you to know he knows everything about us, all the thoughts that we have, which would be the good thoughts, the pleasant thoughts, the blessing thoughts, but also the morally impure thoughts that we have. He knows the thoughts that we have in our mind. So when I sit down, when I move about, he says he knows my thoughts. He knows them before I make them. But also that means he knows my motives too. But he also knows my actions. It sounds similar to what we've already said, but it's more than that. Go back to the passage. It says, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. That means he knows me in the morning, he knows me at night, knows me during the day, he knows my actions, he knows what I do, what I don't do, he knows how I think, So every place that I go, he knows. Every action that I take, whether I take something that doesn't belong to me, whether I choose to make a a deal with someone that's a swindling situation, he knows about that. Every action that I take, how I drive my car, how I treat my children, how I talk to my wife, he knows every deed that I do even before I do them. He knows my thoughts, he knows my motives, he knows my actions. Now, while for some of you, you might want to run from a God like that, The only purpose of us knowing that God is such a God like that is not so much that we would run from Him, that we would run to Him. We would run to Him because of how much He loves us and He wants to forgive us and change us from the inside out. So He knows my actions, but He also knows my words. It says that all the words that He knows that I'm speaking. I, I, I get a little thinking about that because how many of us use words that are caustic with other people, sarcasm with other people, words that are not truthful to other people? profanity. How many of us still take the Lord's name in vain? Or perhaps how many of us will use a euphemism for God as well? He knows all of the words that we say, but he also knows all the good words that we share. A word of encouragement, a word of truth, a word of comfort, perhaps even the word of the simple message of salvation by faith alone in Christ, where you take a stand for the Lord. He knows every one of our words. Now, I also like the last part. It says, he has always known me. Look at the verse. It says, he enclosed me behind and before. In the Hebrew, that's like a word, like a hem, like when you hem up a garment. I'm glad this shirt has a hem on it right now because it's not frazzled at the end. It kind of holds it together here. And so the Lord says, I know everything about you and I can hem you in from past and present. Then it says, he laid his hand upon me. Watch what I do with my Bible. Can you see way in the back up here? I'll try to hold it up high for you. When I do this, I'm touching my Bible. When I do this with my hand, I'm laying my hand on my Bible. When I touch something, generally a touch is I come and I go. That's a touch. Now I know there's some old gospel song, he touched me, oh he touched me. I like that song and he does touch me. That means he came to my life and he got my attention, he touched me. Sometimes when Carol wants to get my attention, she'll poke me, all right? So she touches me and it gets my attention. But in this verse, it's more than that. It's not just he gets my attention. It means he lays his hand upon me. That means he cares for everything that I do and I'm going through. He never leaves me. Can you imagine having, quote, the hand of God on your life? The hand of a loving God. In fact, take all these points that I'm going to give to you today, wrap them all up into one, and then put it into a glove, and then that glove will be his hand on you. Every bit of his attributes. That hand of God is on you and me. So whatever you go through, I want you to know, no matter how challenging that is, God knows about it ahead of time. He knows that there's purpose in it here and that there's purpose for you even in eternity with all that you're going through. Now, when I give you this, some of you are saying, man, I I don't understand. How does that fit with this and how does that fit with that? I just don't get this. Well, can I tell you something? You're in good company. One reason, sometimes I struggle with this too. I don't know everything about God's no ability in my life i don 't know how can God know everything about me and at the same time know everything about you and at the same time know everything about seven billion people in the world i don 't know that, but we 're also in better company because the psalmist who wrote this is David. And what's so cool is when David wrote this dilemma that he couldn't even understand this, God allowed that to be put into Scripture so that we then can identify with David who couldn't understand that. And God said, see, David can't understand me. It's okay. I put it in Scripture. You're not failing your course on theology if you don't know everything about God's knowability of you and me. If I knew everything there was about God, that means that I invented God. I was the creator of God. Now that ought to be scary for every one of us, don't you think? And so I don't have a problem with God knowing so much that I can't know that about him. Look at the verse it goes on to say, Such knowledge, what we've just learned about him, is too wonderful for me. Let's pause for a moment. That word wonderful, do you know what that means? Look up here. Wonderful really means full of wonder. I am so full of wonder that it doesn't scare me that God knows so much about me. I so, I'm in full of awe over that about God. So don't let this truth about God knowing your thoughts, knowing where you work, what you do, what you say, all the things about you that God knows because he, quote, created you in his mind before you were ever then placed in your mother's womb. Don't let that scare you. Let that make you be full of wonder. So when Christ is now coming historically into your life, I want you to see him coming as the real God who loves you so much. Then it goes on to say, It's so high, I can't attain to it. That means you can plummet the depths of Scripture and you can separate yourself and become a so-called monk and even then you would never know all there is about God. Yes, we should continue to seek knowledge of God, but at the same time, we'll never get to the end of it. It's almost like, can you ever get to the end of the Internet? (laughs) You can't, but that's all right. I have God. Well, let's go to the second truth here about his attributes. So since God is all-knowing, and he knows what's best for me, and I have to believe that, that means that there are good things that are planned for me, whether it's in this life or next. The second one is God is always present and faithful. These are the two attributes of God that I'm kind of putting together now. God is always present and faithful to me. And the next phrase is, as he was to everyone in the Bible. In a sense, no matter what a Bible character went through, God never really abandoned them. Now, that person may have abandoned God and their thought, talk, and walk, but that doesn't mean that God ever lost them or they ever got away from the Lord. The Lord was saying, where are you? You know, God knew where they were, even in the garden when he said, where are you? He knew he wanted them to come out from hiding on their very own. And you parents, have you ever played hide and seek? You know what a kid's are. Where are you? Oh, I'm hiding over here. They can't see me. And you're looking down on them right there. All right. God knows everything. But now, besides all of that, he is always present with you. Look at this passage. It is just rich with the presence of God. It goes on to say, the writer, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Interesting now. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Where can I go from the Trinity? Where can I go from the divinity? Where can I go from the deity? Or where can I flee from your presence? That means how far away can I run when God's not there? Where can I go? If I ascend to heaven... Well, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, whether it's hell or the grave, it doesn't really matter because for David here, we know he didn't go to hell, but he said, if I could do that, behold, you're there. In a sense that God knows everything where everybody's at. Then it says, if I take the wings of the dawn and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea. I just read an article last night about a couple of people, a crew actually that left in January to go across from South America to find out where the Polynesian people would maybe travel. Now, this wasn't our own little voyaging canoe. This was another group that was trying to do this. They were so far blown off course that they had to cry out for help, and there was someone there just in the nick of time to rescue them. They would be in the farthest most part of the sea. And here it says, even if I'm there, you are there with me at that very moment. That doesn't mean that you might not be lost physically. It might not mean that you won't be maimed through the danger of being in the farthest most part of wherever you might be, but it does mean this, that you're never lost with God. He knows right where you are. Well, it goes on a little bit further. It says, even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Now, if it's your Bible, you might want to underline the phrase right hand because that has an indication of that's the power of God. Now, we know that all of God is powerful, but kind of in our earthly way, we look at the part. I'm right-handed, so that means I'm I'm a little bit better with a hammer with my right hand than I'm with my left hand. So in a sense, even God is there to lay hold of me. And it says, And if I say, Surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be my night then. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the dark. Darkness and light are alike to you. That means no matter where I go, it's never dark with God because He's always there. Can you go back down memory lane? Let me ask you this question. Was there ever a time when you were a little child that you had the night fears, I call them? Not nightmares. It may have started with a nightmare, but this is when you kind of woke up at night and you had what we call a night fear. A night fear is you're in your room and all of a sudden you just feel like there's a, you know, a monster under your bed or in the closet or something like that and you were terrified at night and it was pitch dark and every little sound you, you heard was like a monster scratching on the window to try to get to you. Now, let's see how honest you can be. How many of you had something like a night fear at one time growing up? Would you raise your hand? All right. How many of you had it last night? Don't raise your hand. All right. <laughs> So you had those night fears, and it may have been because you watched too many monster movies before you went to bed. I don't know. But my point is this, that no matter how dark it is, it is never dark with God. He is always there. He is always there. He will always take care of you. He'll be faithful to you. I call that very precious because some of you will be called off to do some new things. The Lord will be there. You know, um, here, Carol and I feel very safe among you. We are very much loved by all of you. Some of you know us more, know us better, so you know how to reach out in your love for us that scratches us where we love itch kind of thing. Some of you not so much, but we never feel your anger or your whatever against us. But when we do leave here, we don't have a date, we don't know when that'll be yet, but when we do leave here, we're going to be going to a whole new culture. We will be going to a whole new people group, a whole new kind of system, a whole new way of doing life out there. It's going to be scary. We'll be in a new house. I know where there's some little pukas in our house, but I don't know all of them in the new house. I don't know what our neighbors are like. I've only talked to one. I don't know. I don't know any of that. But I know this, where God guides, God provides. I know that no matter what it looks like there, the presence of God will be there with us. Watch this as much as he is here right now while I'm speaking to you. And his faithfulness will be just as faithful there.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.